Today on this episode of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. Is there an argument to be made that we should be doing serial radiographic imaging on patients in JAK inhibitors to the, they to make sure that they hit this landmark of, you know, 35% spleen volume reduction as an example? Today, Drs. Gaith Abuzena and Rajit Rampal join the podcast to discuss management of splenomegalia in myelofibrosis and the impact of spleen reduction in this PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. All opinions expressed are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the views of this educational initiative supporters. Hello, I'm Dr. Rajit Rampal, a hematologist and oncologist from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And joining me is my colleague, Dr. Guy Abuzena from Weill Cornell Medical College. So today we're going to talk about splenomegaly. Splenomegaly is a common symptom and a hallmark feature of myelofibrosis. The management of splenomegaly is really aimed at alleviating symptoms, improving the quality of life, and addressing the potential complications associated with spleen enlargement. Thus, spleen reduction or shrinkage is an important therapeutic goal in the management of myelofibrosis. We'd like to share with you our insights on managing splenomegaly and the impact that spleen reduction can have on patients and outcomes. So, Guy, with that as a backdrop, in your practice, how do you approach patients with myelofibrosis and splenomegaly, and how does spleen reduction impact your decision-making? It's a very important topic, I think, Rajit, and I'm glad we have the opportunity to discuss this today because I, have, I think I have a lot to say about splenomegaly and what it means for uh, myelofibrosis patients to have spleen size reduction. I think I kind of start historically when uh, the JAK inhibitors were developed for treating uh, myelofibrosis and ruxolitinib was in the COMFORT-1, COMFORT-2 trials. And uh, splenomegaly, which is a common manifestation of uh, myelofibrosis, was one of the clinical endpoints that were looked at, uh, actually primary clinical endpoint that was looked at uh, in determining the efficacy of the drug, the JAK inhibitor, in treating the disease. Um, at the time, to my knowledge, there really is no definitive evidence that splenomegaly um, was prognostic or reduction in spleen size or spleen volume was prognostic for uh, the most important outcomes, which is uh, essentially survival. So uh, a drug that would uh, be able to reduce the spleen size, does that drug uh, also improve survival of patients? So starting off with looking at clinical endpoints, I think one of the challenges in myelofibrosis is, um, you know, it, it is an aggressive disease, but it also in some ways classifies as a chronic disease that you know, requires several years of follow-up for you to be able to identify uh, important endpoints like survival. Uh, and so in looking at all the important clinical endpoints, spleen volume reduction was one of those that were chosen as an endpoint for drug approval. Uh, and since then, uh, both uh, symptom improvement, which is very important, and spleen volume reduction uh, were embedded in clinical trials, often as primary endpoints, uh, for deciding the efficacy of the drug and actually proceeding with getting the drug through the uh, uh, FDA pipeline for approval. Um, after several years of uh, follow-up on the Comfort 1 and Comfort 2 studies, there was a pooled analysis uh, that ultimately identified that ruxolitinib uh, in those studies was associated with a favorable higher uh, overall survival compared to the comparators, which were both uh, placebo uh, arm and a best available therapy arm uh, in the Comfort 1 and 2. And so with that analysis in mind, it was found that, you know, retrospectively looking at those patients, that those who had splenomegaly had the worst prognosis. Um, and, you know, spleen volume may have had an impact, you know, massive splenomegaly is probably worse than having 
a two centimeter spleen palpable below the costal margin. Um, and the degree of spleen volume reduction perhaps did correlate with the survival benefit that was derived from ruxolitinib in those analyses. Uh, so I think the, the idea that spleen volume reduction is important is still a controversial issue, but I think certain data that identify it as a, a poor prognostic indicator and the uh, reduction of spleen size on therapy correlating with overall survival, I think makes, makes it uh, a more appealing uh, endpoint to use um, and which, which is affirmation that what we've been doing for a long time is, is important, and it's important to identify drugs that actually have that uh, efficacy. So a lot of important points there, right? Uh, obviously, uh, you know, making sure the patients are, are feeling better, more comfortable, more able to function, you know, as a, re a reduction in their spleen occurs, very important thing. But as you've talked about, it potentially ties to survival, which is really one of the things we absolutely care about uh, for our patients. We talk about spleen volume, but of course there is spleen length and there's the practical matter of how you assess a patient in clinic, right? Most uh, physicians, I think, rely on palpation. Um, is there an argument to be made that we should be doing serial radiographic imaging on patients in JAK inhibitors to, the, they, to make sure that they hit this landmark of, you know, 35% spleen volume reduction as an example? Yeah. You know, um, one thing that I... I uh, to your point about imaging versus spleen palpation, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, spleen volume reduction, whether you use a 35% cutoff or greater, um, it doesn't necessarily indicate that the disease is in remission. Of course, you know, we know that bowel fibrosis is a disease that currently is incurable without transplant. Um, and so, you know, in, in my personal opinion, you know, if, a, if an enlarged spleen is no longer palpable, so it's, there's no longer splenomegaly, I think whether you document that by imaging or by exam, uh, I think would be the same outcome. You know, you're, you're dealing with a large spleen that is now normalized. Quantifying the exact spleen volume reduction, uh, to my knowledge, is, is not something that would, be, uh, would determine your practice or would you know, cause you to change therapy. Um, so personally, in clinical practice, I don't necessarily use imaging, not nearly as frequent as, as they would on clinical trials, but also... Uh, in, you know, at baseline or, or throughout therapy, personally, I don't think that might be necessary. Um, a baseline splenomegaly assessment, I think, is reasonable, particularly in patients where it's difficult to palpate the spleen on exam. Uh, so uh, if that's a challenge or there's any hesitation whether the patient has or doesn't have splenomegaly, I think a, a baseline uh, imaging assessment is important. Uh, but, you know, quantifying the degree or the decrease in splenomegaly by imaging versus uh, on exam, to my knowledge, has not been compared uh, to determine that actually doing an MRI is superior to doing an exam, um, you know, in the right context. It's an important point, I think, you know, and, and going forward with uh, the coming era of potentially combination therapies, right, where the end point, is, as you talked about, is really spleen volume reduction as well as symptom reduction, will we come to the point where we say, well, somebody hasn't had sufficient spleen volume reduction in we should do a combination therapy. I think to your point, the data is lacking to say that making that switch right now is going to impact, you know, the patient's overall outcome, but still something for us to consider as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think imaging certainly does uh, bring a little bit of inconvenience to certain patients, particularly when you have to sit through, you know, MRIs that, that might take a long time or, uh, you know, they're often in, you know, CAT scans are not without risk. So I think that, uh, potentially minimizing the requirement for frequent imaging, I think would be important while recognizing that spleen volume reduction 
is an important, important part of the clinical assessment of drug efficacy and potentially long-term outcomes. Uh, however, I do want to emphasize that I think uh, that should not be the, kind of the sole surrogate for a drug efficacy. And I, I think that uh, we should definitely take into account uh, very important uh, clinical endpoints, including, you know, uh, symptom response, which is often included, um, but perhaps even uh, biomarkers um, that might uh, be validated in some of these prospective, you know, clinical trials as surrogate endpoints for uh, the most important endpoints, which are survival. Um, that being said, I think there should also be a movement towards uh, embedding uh, survival into the design of these clinical trials uh, and perhaps using splenomegaly as a, a kind of a criteria to risk stratify patients. You know, those who are highest risk for disease progression um, might be patients who have massive splenomegaly along with other features. And by selecting such patients when you enroll them in clinical trials geared towards overall survival, you can then uh, more efficiently and practically assess the uh, effect of a drug on spleen volume reduction and survival together uh, and be able to validate that, you know, endpoint prospectively moving forward. I think you're making a really important point, right, which is that we've been kind of locked historically into these assessments of spleen volume reduction and total symptom score as it relates to drug development. But, you know, ultimately we want to find biomarkers of disease modification that correlate with survival. If we think about the ultimate endpoints that we want to get to, we want patients to live longer and we want them to live better. And what is going to tell us that we're on the road to doing that? Uh, well, I think what will tell us that we're doing better, I mean, certainly, as I mentioned earlier with the comfort studies, we've learned perhaps many years later that this is a drug that improves survival after we've learned that patients feel a lot better on the drug. So, you know, we, we sort of knew we we're on the right track because patients were feeling better. Their spleen sizes were getting, you know, much smaller. And everybody was obviously excited that this could be a drug that, uh, you know, perhaps uh, is the drug to use and will be the only drug needed. Um, but clearly that's not the case. And I, I don't think it's sufficient to wait another, you know, five, 10 years for new drugs to prove themselves in that kind of treatment algorithm. So I think what is necessary is identifying kind of what is the value of spleen volume reduction truly for, uh, you know, identifying the drug's potential. It might be drug-specific. It may be some drugs that do reduce spleen volume are also capable of prolonging survival, but you know this endpoint is not a universal endpoint. So we don't necessarily know that. And I think what we need is designs, uh, designing trials that are geared with overall survival as a primary endpoint, accompanied with these clinical endpoints to kind of solidify and validate what endpoints kind of put together in combination or a single endpoint are the best correlative to the most important endpoints that you had mentioned, which are patients feeling better, but obviously living longer and healthier. Yeah, I think that's a terrific forward way, forward-looking way of, of, of thinking about this. So, Guy, thank you for that uh, terrific discussion about splenomegaly. Um, and thank you all for watching. I hope that you found this discussion uh, informative and useful for your practice and patients with myelofibrosis. And that's today's special spotlight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PV Roundup Podcast. For more stories like these, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions, please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing, Medical News Roundup, and just ask, what's my flash briefing? Thanks today to our guests, Drs. Abu Zaina and Rapal. Please join me next time for an episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine.